0: taste now the kindness of the Word and our Lord, as the Spirit has breathed words of hope through Peter in his first book, his first chapter, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The word of the Lord. About a week ago, I took uh, the three boys that... uh, have been swimming with me for four or five years over to sign up for uh, the summer team. Hadn't seen him as much this year, and uh, just after an evening with him, I noticed that one of them was doing well, and two of them were losing hope. They're starting to become adolescents, and uh, it, it. it was hard to see that uh, these little goofy guys that just thought everything was silly and funny were starting uh, to look out at a world that just seemed filled with obstacles they couldn't overcome. How do you how do you help those little guys? I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time with them this summer. How can I help them find hope? I know of a friend who uh, recently had a career setback. He'd been working very hard for many years for a promotion. Thought that that was going to happen. Management, for some reason, went with somebody else. Uh, now he feels trapped in a job that he doesn't like. How do you find hope? I have another friend who's been battling a chronic, undiagnosed disease for about a dozen years. She longs for a cure. She looks to doctors, and uh, but she's still waiting. What what does it look like to be hopeful in the middle of a circumstance like that? I mean, we all know hope is important. Uh, They proved this psychologically. It's something that everybody seems to be talking about these days. In one study, and uh, I don't recommend doing this at home, but they took a bunch of rats and uh, put them into a tank to the point where they all started to drown uh, after about six minutes, and they pulled them out. And then the rats realized that there was hope at the end, and the next time they stayed in for 30 minutes without drowning, just because they had the hope uh, that something good was coming. Viktor Frankl uh, went through the Nazi prison camps, wrote a book about who survived and who didn't, and his main conclusion was the people that survived were the ones that had some kind of hope. So how do you have hope? You know, there's just so many different ways that we, we need hope. And I don't know where you are tonight. You might just ask yourself, how how hopeful am I tonight? How's my hope? You know, sometimes when we age, we can wonder uh, about how, how that's going to go. That can rob our hope. Sometimes we can wonder how our children are going to do. Uh, Sometimes we can wonder if our marriage is ever going to be what it's supposed to be, or if I'll be married. Sometimes health concerns can weigh heavily on us. It's hard to have hope. Well, sometimes the letter to 1 Peter is called uh, the letter of hope, uh, it's really a book that talks a lot about the hope that we have in Christ, and I wanted to just spend some time tonight in these first packed verses, just looking at the Christian hope, and hopefully drawing some some lessons about how we can nourish our own hope. And by the way, even as we begin, um, I don't. For those of you that are struggling with hope tonight, I don't want this to make you even more discouraged. Um, like, shame on you for not having hope. Here are three quick ways and fix it. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? I want to encourage you tonight. And it's okay if you're not there, but hopefully these principles will point you in the right direction. Now, let's see what Peter can teach us about finding hope in a world that sometimes can seem hopeless. He starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. A Christian hope begins with our belief in a merciful God. Really, we we can't go much further until we kind of start there. You might just step back for a moment and ask yourself, do I believe that? Uh, Mercy is love, compassion, expressed in tangible acts. And what we just spent half an hour singing about was this belief that there really is a good, good father, that someone at the center of the universe is truly merciful, that he truly cares about us, that he truly wants us to be whole and well. Really, Christian hope, at, at the most foundation foundational level, goes back to the character of God, that we believe that God is merciful. Psalm 116.5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. He is full of mercy. And one of the reasons that we cling to that is we belong to this family that goes back 40 centuries, and their experience, our experience, over 40 centuries with this God is that he comes through. And you may not be feeling it tonight, and it's okay, there are times when I don't feel it, but that's one of the reasons we come and do this, is because it reminds us that we're part of this family that goes back 4,000 years. And so when the psalmist writes, O Lord, many are rising against me, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me. I lay down and slept, and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. We look at those words, and we remember that God is merciful, and he comes through, and he cares, and he protects, and he doesn't abandon us. So hope begins with this fundamental belief in the God of mercy. Julian of Norwich, uh, a 14th century mystic, was on her deathbed and she had a vision of Christ and he came to her and he said, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. She had encountered the God of mercy and that's why she had hope. Our merciful God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Let's step back and just think for a moment about what The word hope means Lauren Ellsworth is teaching uh, for a few weeks on the Bible study on Monday night in the chapel. And she's been teaching on hope. And I asked to borrow some of her notes. And she had some excellent points. And one of the things I learned that she had written down is that the Hebrew word for hope literally means the thing that I long for. The thing that I long for. So maybe we could say, my hope is what I look to to find meaning and purpose in my life. My hope is where I go to make my life secure and significant. My hope is where I turn to make me feel safe and happy. It's what what my deepest longing is for. In her notes, Lauren points out that the Hebrew word for hope is also the same word for cord. Hope is the cord that attaches us to the object of our hope. So biblical hope is attaching to the merciful God. We look to him for meaning and purpose, security and significance, hope and joy. But notice that Peter speaks of a living hope. Evidently, there's such a thing as a dead hope. Hope or a false hope. When I put my trust in anything other than the God of mercy, when my hope is in anything other than the God of mercy, I don't have a living hope, I have a false hope. Now, it's not wrong to have dreams and desires and goals, that's what gets us up out of the bed in the morning. And and this is kind of a tricky negotiation we have to make in the Christian life. It's not wrong to want to do great things with your life and to want to have things and, and all of that. But when those dreams turn into gods and you demand that you must have them to be happy, then you have a false hope. That's where we get into trouble. When a legitimate desire becomes a demand, I have a false hope. You know, I, th- I think one of the reasons, this has been true in my, li- my life, one of the reasons why we get depressed and discouraged is because depression and discouragement can be God's way of exposing our false hope. It can be an invitation to step back. And ask, why is my heart so downcast within me? Have I put my hope in the wrong things? H- have I a clenched fist somewhere buried deep within me that is demanding that God must give me what I want? I must get a new job or I will die. My husband must love me better or I will die. My pain must go away or I will die. Those are all great things, great prayers. I hope they they happen, but they can't be God's. So do you find yourself discouraged tonight or perhaps depressed? Well, what are you attaching your deepest longings to? What have you attached the cord of hope to? One of the ways to discover your false hope is to complete this sentence. I will never be fully happy and fulfilled until I blank. Reconcile with my son. Whatever it is. That's a false hope. According to Peter, we already have all we need to be Fulfilled in any circumstance because we are the children of a merciful God. Now, obviously, moving from a false hope to a true hope is a lifelong process. You don't do it overnight. Spiritual writers of every tradition talk about detachment as being a way that we can move from false hope to true hope. A detachment means holding things loosely, not clinging to them as idols, not demanding life from them, so you care about your career, but you don't worship it. You care about relationships, but you don't worship them. You care about your body, but you don't worship it. One writer put it like this. All great spirituality is about letting go. Let me say that again. I think that's an important truth. All great all spirituality is about letting go. Detachment means replacing the attachment to idolatrous relationships and self-serving goals and agendas for success, money, power, ego, productivity, and image, with wholehearted attachment to and trust in God alone. All spirituality is about letting go. So what do you need to let go of tonight? What are you holding on to that's really a false hope. Well, something has to happen for me to enter into this hope. Peter says that we have to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I hope it's kind of a hot topic today. There's lots of good things about positive thinking, about learning optimism, and that's all very good stuff. But that's not the kind of hope that Peter is talking about. Peter says that you can't get this kind of hope by reading a book. You have to be born again. That God has to breathe new life into you. And so let's just step back just for a moment uh, and, 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 and lay this invitation out there for you. If you've not come to this place in your spiritual journey yet, The Bible says that you and I were born in sin. We were born estranged from God, and therefore we were cut off from this merciful God. We were cut off from this great story. And and so we have to turn from that false story, from that self-focused story, and embrace the bigger story that God offers in Christ and accept his death on the cross as payment for our sins, invite him into our life to be our Lord, and then follow him by faith and in the power of the Spirit. That's where hope begins, by being born again. Then he says to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important. This is why biblical hope is different from positive thinking or learned optimism. It's because it's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that means two things. First, it means that biblical hope is centered on a historical reality, the event of the resurrection. It is not just wishful thinking. It is not just kind of a mind game. Our hope, our belief in a merciful God is because of this event called the resurrection in which God himself raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Hundreds of people saw it and went out to tell about it. Paul devotes a whole chapter to this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, our hope isn't just kind of a, guess in the dark. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in God's action in history. It's rooted in the reality of the resurrection. Some days I don't feel like it. Some days it doesn't look that way. Sometimes I don't understand. But hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that means something else too. It means that Hope for a Christian is not just future, it is present because we share in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Romans 6. Uh. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore the, for with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. So this is what is so unique about the Christian hope. The fact of the resurrection gives us the grounds of hope, but the experience of the resurrected life of Christ in my life gives me the experience of hope. See, this is the great beauty of the gospel is that once you are saved, the Holy Spirit of the risen Christ comes to indwell you and then work within you to remind you of the promises of God, to cry out, Abba, Father, to comfort you, to guide you, to direct you, to cleanse you, to restore you, to renew you. That's another reason why we have hope. I believe one of the reasons we lose hope is because we do not spend enough time nurturing the resurrection life within our souls. Someone put it like this to me recently. Someone said, you know, the human race has never tried to do what we are trying to do now. And we don't know yet how the experiment will turn out. In other words, human beings have never been as exposed to as many messages and narratives and ideas and stories as we are at this point in our history. And we don't know yet if the human soul can handle it. There's a fascinating study on NPR, the half-an-hour podcast, about what psychologists are learning about social media and happiness. And uh, it was really fascinating. And the guy interviewed this young woman, and she said um, that she would always post about all the good things that were going on in her life, and friends would like them, and that made her feel good. And then uh, she started to have a trouble with her marriage, and she stopped posting anything about that and never let anybody know that her marriage was dying. When her marriage failed, she went off for a few months, went back on. Now the posts were all of herself. And friends started to call her and say, what happened to your husband? She explained she went through a divorce. And they said, you know, I didn't too, but I didn't think that I could post it. I wanted to make sure that my life story looked perfect and beautiful. And then the guy interviews a psychologist from Hebrew University in, in Jerusalem who who has done all these studies about how social media is leading to a culture of comparison and discontentment with my life and hiding my own fears, which is leading to great unhappiness. and I don't want to overdo this. I don't want to be grandpa all the time. I'm not against watching TV. It's a, it's, you know, there's a place for all of that. But I do wonder if you binge on Netflix night after night and you check your phone all day long, and you hear things all day long, and the narrative arc of every dystopian you see is that the world is coming to an end, and evil is triumphing, and good guys are bad, and bad guys are good, and there's no ethics, and there's no morals, and the best thing you can do is hook up, and you yada, 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 yada. I know, end of grandpa's speech. Well, that's all you expose yourself, and then once every four weeks or so, you show up at church, and you check your phone twice during the worship, because God knows if you don't, The world will not work. And you wonder, why don't I have any hope? You know, I mentioned that book, The Benedict Option, last week. I don't like the book at all. Really don't like the book at all. I think he's very pessimistic, thinks we're in the new dark ages, thinks we ought to just let the world go to hell and pull out and save our souls. Here's what I think he's right on if we are not intentional about creating space and setting boundaries about what we watch, see, and listen to, and creating an environment where we nourish our soul with hope through fellowship, through scripture, through worship, through sacrament, through prayer, through fasting, if we don't do that as a people of God, we will not have hope. We will not have hope. You know, Freud looked at all of this And he said this idea of a living hope was just wish fulfillment. One of his disciples, a guy named Carl Jung, came along, not a Christian but a very spiritual man, studied spirituality and cultures all over the world. He came to a very different conclusion. He said, why is it that every culture in the world has a story that ends in hope, that ends in connecting with a god? Why is that? Isn't it because we were built for it and it's universally true? Isn't that a better way to read the evidence? Oh, finally, Peter describes this hope of ours a little bit more in verses 4 to 5. He says, we hope in an inheritance or a storehouse that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's saying, the story ends well. Well, I don't understand how heaven works. There's a really streets of gold. And, yada, yada. I, pff, who knows? The point is that the story ends well, and you can't mess it up. It's not like an end-of-the-year bonus. It's not like making a team. It's not like being fired from a company. It's not like getting divorced from a marriage. You can't mess it up because why? By God's power, the inheritance is being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, you know, you're struggling with hope tonight. Don't worry about it. That doesn't affect how it ends. There's not like a hopeful meter, you know, that you get to on Judgment Day. Ah, You weren't hopeful enough. Eh. You can't mess it up. Story ends well. I don't know why I was on my phone, Um, and I saw this uh, long interview with Brad Pitt. And I don't know why I've always admired him and wished I looked like him and you know and all, all of that stuff. He's about my age. It was the most pathetic story. It was so sad. His poor life has just fallen apart, and he'd had a horrible experience with Christianity as a child. And he has no hope. I just found myself praying for him. He has no God of mercy, and no ending. And he says, I know I won the lottery, but I'm effed. So, what do we say to those boys that I'll be hanging out with this summer? I'm really thinking a lot about that. And I know we need to put good resources around them and all that stuff, but somehow I need to help these young men know the God of mercy. I mean, we can do social justice till the cows come home. You can feed, and unless you're connected, the cord is hooked up to the God of mercy. (laughs) You have no hope. You have no hope. And that's something I've been convicted about. And what do we say to the um, friend stuck in the job that feels like a prison? Well, I think we say, you know, keep looking. Work on your skills and, and all of that. That's all important. But maybe this is a time to practice detachment. Maybe your frustration at work or with your career, maybe this summer is a time to step back and ask myself, what have I put my ultimate hope in? Because here's the irony of it. Even when you land the perfect job, I mean, you, you think whatever you dream about right now would just be the perfect job. It doesn't do it for you. I've, I've had this privilege of being in a Bible study with some men for many years. Started it a long time ago. These are older men now. These guys have hit the lottery we talk about corporate planes and beach houses and I mean they've got more money than you. they are They people write about them and yada 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 you know what they want to talk about when we get together every other Monday morning in some guy's boardroom you know the first thing that happens first thing almost every time phone comes out you know where this is going don't you Grandchildren, It's all they care about, is <laughs> their grandkids. They don't care about how many millions. Matter of fact, it's a burden. Most of them wish they didn't have it. Let's pray.